Welcome and good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Good. Welcome. We've got folks in the room. We've got folks at home. Welcome to you who are tuning in at home. We've got our folks up in the balcony. Like we are just all over the place, up top, down low. Uh, but we're excited uh, to be gathering again tonight. So welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. So first things first, uh, we've got an app. Uh, most of you know about the app by now, but if you're new with us and if you're tuning in at home, uh, you can jump on the app store, the Google Play store. You can download it. It's Elements City Church. And inside that app, you'll find the connection card uh, as well. So if you're new here in the room, feel free to fill out that connection card. If you're at home, fill that out. That'll just let us get to know you so that we can uh, shoot you an email, uh, find out more about you, tell us a little bit more about ourselves. And you know what? We just, we want to make, uh, I think they call it a connection card because we want to make a connection. I don't know. That would make sense, I guess, right? So uh, if you are tuning in online, there's also a chat down below. You've got some hosts in that chat. So if you've got any questions, feel free to punch anything in there. Those hosts are there ready to help you out. Uh, so tonight we're getting ready to continue our foundations series. Uh, so just really, we want to live a healthy life as a church. What does that look like? So Jack's going to be speaking these next couple weeks as we continue that series. Uh, so we're going to get ready to pray as we go into worship. Uh, and then, of course, we want to remember our Church of the Week. And the Church of the Week is a Grace Point Evangelical Free Church. Uh, kind of cool. I just was reading about them. They formed in 2012. Uh, but they kind of formed in the same way that we did. So we merged with the church last year. They merged, uh, two churches merged together in 2012, and that's uh, how they started out. So we want to pray for Pastor Randy there uh, as well. So if you are here in the room, go and stand with us as we pray. Uh, if you're at home, uh, you can stand up too, just so you can feel like you're not being left out. Uh, or sit down. That's fine. There's no judgment. Uh, just your conscience and the Holy Spirit. So, you know, whatever the Lord leads. Whatever the Lord, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We just want to lift up uh, Grace Point Church to you. We thank you for their influence here in Tucson. Uh, we thank you that two bodies of Christ were able to come together in unity uh, and were able to continue to bring the message of the gospel here in Tucson. We pray for Pastor Randy uh, as he leads the church and uh, just it's been a trying year for so many churches. Uh, but we pray that you would continue to give them favor, that you would reveal to them ways that they can be effective in their community uh, to reach out to people and to bring them closer to Jesus. And Lord, tonight we just pray that your Holy Spirit would move. Uh, we're excited to be able to gather together to worship you. And so uh, these, these songs, we don't want them to just be notes. We don't want them to just be words that we say. Uh, we don't want to just hit drums or, or play guitars or anything. Um, because it doesn't mean anything unless your spirit comes and fills that moment and turns it into worship and makes it something more than, than just that. And so that's what we're asking for tonight, God. Would you come? Would your spirit move? Uh, would you open our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us? Uh, because you're beautiful. You have so much uh, that you want to give us and so much to tell us so that we can live the abundant life that you've called us to live. So open our hearts to receive that message tonight so we can grow closer to you, so we can live more in unity uh, with each other and more in step with your spirit. Uh, so inhabit these praises tonight, Jesus. Move in power. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just one word 
don't deserve this kind of love. Somehow, this kind of love is who you are. It's a grace I could never add to be somebody you still want. Somehow, you love me as you find me, my Jesus. tonight challenge us God would you take aim at our hearts and change the way we might treat people to be more like you would God carve away at us and replace it pray that we would leave challenged. God, we would leave with the knowledge of the mercy that you've given us. And that we would show it to those around us in every way we can. In this season that seems so divided. God, help us be more like you. Well, it's good to have you in the house, and those that are joining from your house, welcome, and uh, thanks for being a part of Element City Church, especially if you're new. If you're tuning in for the first time, or you're here in the house for the very first time, or maybe first time in a long time back, welcome, and uh, you know, as we kind of dive into, we've been looking at this series at some foundations for the church and foundations for us to kind of hold on to. We kind of looked at uh, several different things over the last few weeks, and and tonight I want us to wrestle with this idea of what does it mean to be a mercy-filled church? That maybe that's a challenge for us to kind of get our mind around. It's interesting if you do a a search or kind of in your own mind begin to think about what does mercy really mean? And you have a lot of people who describe mercy in a lot of different ways. They sing about it. In fact, if you do a search on the word mercy in songs in iTunes, 
You're going to find songs from Shawn Mendes and Kanye and Nipsey and Marvin Gaye and Davis Matthew Band and Muse and many, many others who sing about it. But what does it really look like? And what does the scriptures kind of look at? What does God kind of call us to when he talks about this idea of mercy? I grew up watching the OG, the original Full House. Anyone with me? My kids grew up watching the reruns, and Uncle Jesse always had a saying, have mercy. It's my worst Uncle Jesse, and, and I, I don't know if I could do it any worse, but okay, you get it. So he had this saying, and I don't know if you knew or not, but it was actually a prophetic word to the church and to us as followers of Jesus, I'm stretching. But the reality is for us to understand, have mercy. It is meant to be something that is a part of our DNA, a part of the foundation of the church, a part of the culture, uh, of the heart of the movement that is the church that Jesus established. In fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, he said, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. It doesn't get much more plain than that. He's going to tell a story a little bit later on about uh, how mercy is kind of the foundation of forgiveness. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 18 or open the app and follow along on sermon notes. And we'll get there in a few minutes. But this idea of mercy is meant to be a marker of our entire lives. In fact, in the scriptures, it's mentioned over 208 times in the Bible. 137 in the Old Testament, 71 in the New Testament. The Greek, Elios is the, the most predominant word in the New Testament for mercy. It's this concept of, of God's compassion, of having pity on someone, to, to act on their behalf of their best interest, that God requires us to have mercy. Remember Micah uh, 6.8? As the, the prophet Micah writes these words, He has shown you, O man, he has shown you, O mankind, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Jesus said, blessed are those who are merciful. They will receive and be given mercy in the Sermon on the Mount. And so mercy is this characteristic, an action that comes from the very nature of who God is and what he's like. And on a human level, it's best described as one taking consideration of the condition of needs of their fellow man, that it's an essential disposition of a covenant people and of the church. That in both the Old Testament and New Testament, mercy is this action taken. That the strong toward the weak, the rich toward the poor, the insider toward the outsider, and those who have towards those who have not. That mercy is given by God as this foundation of forgiveness. It's the, the kind of the birthplace of that. It, it's the be the resting place of where forgiveness begins to build, that it all begins and comes and flows from. This idea of mercy, this reality of how God wants us to live and how God really is, that it's his faithfulness and his steadfast love, that it's not just an emotion thing. It's not that we're to be merciful when we feel like it. It's that we're to be merciful because God is merciful. And that we're to be merciful like he is. And so that means it's action-oriented, not just a feeling that we say yes to occasionally when we're up to it. But that we begin to live this out the best we know how. That mercy is this foundation of forgiveness. So in Matthew 18, 
uh, there's this story that unfolds where Peter's wrestling with this whole concept of forgiveness and mercy and, and what does that look like and how do you live this out and, and what does it mean to really do this and, and is there a score to this? Because the reality is, if I were to ask you, is forgiveness difficult? You would probably say, well, it kind of depends. Sometimes forgiveness is really easy, right? And it's with people that we love and people that we care about. And in simple, small things, it's really easy. But in other things of life, how many of you might raise your hand and say, man, sometimes forgiveness is really hard. Sometimes this mercy thing is not easy. It's not easy to practice. It's not easy to push through. It's not easy to exercise and actually live out. And so Peter's wrestling with this whole concept in Matthew 18, and he comes to Jesus, and he has this question, and here's this question. Peter came to him, this is verse 21, and he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, how often? Like, how many times? Like, what's the limit, God, of, of people that are wrong me, people that, that cause offense or bring offense into my life, like, is there a limit? Is there an edge to that? Is there there's something I'm supposed to kind of, okay, I do it this many times? And, and have you ever had that tension and that searching in your own heart, in your own mind of what does that begin to look like? But see, you start reading through the scriptures about this whole concept of mercy. The Apostle Paul talks about here's what love looks like. Love keeps no record of when it's been wronged. What? Like, that's a challenge. And that's really a challenge in a culture that loves to keep score. And in our cultural backdrop, friends, we love to keep score. That's why bitterness is so powerful. Because bitterness seems to keep a detailed ledger in a comprehensive journal. And love is to keep no record of when it's been wronged. And that's hard. Following Jesus is not for wimps. It's a challenge. And it's difficult to walk out. And, and I don't know if uh, how many of you would say, I identify with this tension Peter is wrestling with. How, how many times, God? How many times, Jesus, am I to, to do this? Because it, it seems like there should be a limit. It seems like there should be a number here. And maybe it's important for us to understand as we wrestle with this idea of mercy and forgiveness, to talk about what forgiveness is not. Because sometimes forgiveness can, can have this weird thing around it. So just to understand what forgiveness is not, forgiveness is not saying that what a person did to you or what you did was okay. It's not saying that it was all right that some of you have suffered harm at the hands of others, and it's not okay, and it's not all right. And it doesn't mean that you have to forget. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. And it doesn't mean you can't have appropriate, healthy, relational boundaries. It's not about that. Forgiveness is not giving permission for that person to keep doing that or for you to become a doormat and, and for to be walked over. That's not anything about forgiveness. It is possible to forgive an offense that would be impossible to forget. That it's not necessary to forget in order to forgive, but forgiveness is. It is choosing to let go of the offense and not carry it around. 
It's a choice to say, I'm going to let that person off the hook, and they can be on God's hook if he wants to. But they're not going to be on mine. I'm going to choose to let that offense go. Uh, Romans 12:19 says this, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, says the Lord. It's okay to say, God, help me take this person off of my hook, because I'm the one who loses when I keep them on my hook. I'm the one who, who walks around and bitterness begins to grow and it can take root in my own life and I'm the one who gets detoured off of where you want me to go. And I'm the one who gets sidetracked. So this notion of showing mercy or forgiving others is not a decision we're to perform when we feel like it because often we don't. Because we live in a cultural backdrop that likes to keep score. And that's the tension that Peter's wrestling with. Here in Matthew 18, that's what we wrestle with. But we are to follow the example and the pattern that Jesus gives. And so to drive this home, this tension, Peter's asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? And then it's interesting, in verse 21, he, he gives a number to it. Why? Because the first century is not much different than the 21st century. Humanity likes to keep score. That's the reality of how relationships work. And so things are reciprocal most of the time, right? If people are nice to me, then I'm nice to them. If they're mean to me, well, then it's really easy to begin to drift toward wanting to reciprocate that back. Isn't that true? You find this to be true in your own life. That this reality of how do you live merciful, how do you begin to live with this idea of forgiveness is a challenge. And so Peter's wrestling with that. Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And then he says, seven times? Do you know where he got that number? It's interesting when you think about it. We miss it often in the 21st century because we don't live in a first century context. But when you begin to go back and research or read a little bit, there was a rabbinical teaching in the Jewish system of Judaism that said you would forgive someone three times. And so if someone were to harm you or to bring offense into your life, you would forgive them three times. And then you could move on and move away from and not have to deal with. And so Peter, thinking he's the right guy, hey, Jesus, I see you forgive a lot. And so how often should I forgive? Should it be like seven times? Like, that has to be a gold star answer, Jesus. Like, I took the rabbinical teaching, I doubled it, and then I added an extra one. It's amazing what I'm practicing here, Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus in that moment saying, we're not quite there yet, Peter. Let me tell you a story. Jesus did this often in telling parables and telling stories to kind of drive home a point because the reality here is he's questioning how often should I keep score, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. Because the only one who loses when you keep score is you. And you don't see it yet, but you're the one who suffers. He understands that revenge in humanity and in our heart and holding grudges is the natural law of the land. It's what the human heart is left with in our own brokenness. And so the path of humanity is to choose to keep score. And Jesus is saying there's a better way. There's a better way, Peter. 
there's a way that's a different path than the one you're trying to go down. And the one you're trying to go down is not going to take you where you think it's going to take you. It's like Jesus is saying to Peter, I want you to follow me, Peter. And that means you've got to put down the stones of revenge and drop the scorecard of bitterness. Don't keep score, Peter. You've got to learn to travel light. You can carry your grudges and you can follow your anger. Or you can carry your cross and follow me. But you cannot do both. And so this is a challenge. So Jesus tells this story, right? In Matthew 18, this story unfolds and it's about this king who's incredibly wealthy. And he's taking stock of all his business affairs, and he's kind of bringing his accounts into order and understanding what's happening. And this king, this CEO, is beginning to go through some things. And so here's what it says. Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you not just seven times, Peter, but let me tell you a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to settle accounts, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, or maybe your scripture says a 10,000 talents. A talent was the largest numerical value in Greek currency. And so you have to understand it. It'd be like, it'd be like if Jesus was saying, look, there's a guy who owes this king $10 million. How many of you would agree $10 million is a pretty good size amount of money, right? We would think, I know some of you roll, and that's okay, but like $10 million is a lot of money, right? So the listeners of this story would have been like, $10 million, what? Uh, like, this is an absorbent amount of money. This king is saying someone owes him $10 million, whether he embezzled it away from him or stole it from him or whatever it may be. He owes me $10 million. Since he was not able to pay, he was brought before him. The master ordered that he, his wife, his children, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees and begged before him, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay it all back. Now think about that. Be patient with me, and I will pay it all back. Is that true? Let me tell you something. If I owed someone $10 million, it don't matter how many second, third, or fourth jobs I get. It don't matter how long you wait. I ain't going to pay you back, right? That's the reality of the story. That's the key of the story, is that this king is saying, look, you owe a debt that is so grand and so great, there is no way for you to pay it back. And yet this person is saying, I will pay it back. Be patient with me. And he's begging. And the king's heart is moved. And in that moment, he forgives the debt. Listen, forgiveness is never free, but it is always freeing. Someone has to pay the debt. And in that moment, this king takes on that debt and says, I will wipe it clean. I'll take the hit that you deserve. I'm going to give you mercy. Something you don't deserve, but I'm going to give it to you. Now, can you imagine being that guy who owed that debt? Could you, would you think that maybe as he's leaving the king's presence, that walking down the staircase, his feet may not even be touching the stairs, 
because he's got to be on cloud nine of this $10 million debt that has been removed from what he owed. Can you imagine the relief? Could you imagine the incredible delight in his own heart? And yet that's not how the story goes. That's what we think it would go and how we think it would play out. But Jesus continues with the story. And as people are listening, I'm sure they're beginning to wonder, what is happening? Be patient with me. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled his debt, and let him go. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, owed him a hundred bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And the servant fell down on his knees before him. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. And he has him taken off into jail until he can pay the debt. Could you imagine being the hearers of this story in the first century? As Jesus is saying, look, Here's something so astronomical that is forgiven and this mercy that's given and what you think it would do and how you think it would move the heart and how it would change should play out this way, but the story didn't play out that way. And it plays out that this demanding debt is called for this person as they don't live in view of the mercy they've been given, and yet they live with something completely different. And they're demanding this. Can you imagine the, the tension that this would create and, and what this does in the human heart? Perhaps one of the greatest indicators of our hearts when we wrestle with this idea of the condition of our heart, how genuinely are we living with gratefulness of our heart for what God has done for us, that the gratitude fosters a foundation where mercy and forgiveness can flow and when we don't have it, it gets stopped up. And we begin to live with this root of bitterness, and we begin to hold things against people. And the dissonance in this crowd hearing this story is the same dissonance that can exist in our hearts. The story continues. When the other servants who had happened to see everything that was happening saw what happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called that servant back in and said, You wicked servant. I canceled all your debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? Verse 34, circle it, underline it. Like that's the key of the story. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy that I gave you to give to the people that Owe you things. In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Jesus is wrestling with Peter. Peter's wrestling with this tension. Jesus, like, how much mercy? How many times? This forgiveness thing is tough. Like, should I just keep score and, and like if I do it this many times is that enough and Jesus is telling Peter you're asking the wrong question Peter rip up the scorecard 
Stop trying to keep score. It's only going to take you to a place that you don't want it to take you. There is a different way. And unless your heart begins to be moved with this, then you will not get to where I want you to go. And you'll not get to where you actually want to be at. And so you've got to wrestle with this idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness and mercy is a big, big deal to God. It's a ginormous reality that we're to own and wrestle with. This parable is, is dealing with forgiveness and exercise of being merciful between brothers and sisters. Uh, this idea of emphasis on person-to-person -person relationship and how we are to grow a forgiving heart. And how are we doing at being merciful people to the people around us? Peter, don't keep score. Don't let the roots of bitterness grow in your heart. Don't carry your baggage and grudges around or you'll simply follow the law of the land, which is bent toward revenge. And it will take you where you don't want to go. You have to have a different kind of heart. A heart of love and mercy. A heart that lets forgiveness flow and that lets mercy rush forth. Drop the scorecard. Growing in forgiveness and growing a heart of mercy is part of growing and maturing from a spiritual baby to a spiritual mother or father. when we're young in our faith we want to keep score and the older we get the more we mature in our faith we learn that the scorecard actually hurts us and we're the ones who lose in that that part of growing up in spiritual maturity is, is a follower is learning to let go and letting not unforgiveness keep you trapped the takeaway I have is just mercy is a godly mandate not just a simple good suggestion that it's a mandate we're to have, and not just when we feel like it, but it's because it's the way of Jesus. That mercy is to mark our lives as followers of Jesus. The church is to be a mercy, a merciful church and a mercy-filled church. And how do you get a mercy-filled church? It starts with being a mercy-filled person. It's you, it's me, saying, I'm going to choose mercy over the scorecard. I'm going to choose to live this out even when it's hard. I'm going to choose it. Offenses tend to grow their roots at the base of our undealt with hurts and wounds. But forgiveness and mercy grows its roots best at the foot of the cross. And it's never losing sight of that. That it's at the foot of the cross where we experience a mercy and a kindness from God that goes way beyond anything we ever deserve. It's astronomical. It's unbelievable what God does for us. And it's in the practice of coming to the foot of the cross where we find that forgiveness. Here's my question to you. When you drove here tonight, most of you looked out what was in front of you to see where you were going. Anyone know what that's called? Looking for windshield. That's what we're looking for, windshield. You looked out the windshield to drive here, right? You, you drove, you looked out the windshield. It's what you could see in the present and your future. You also look at your rearview mirror occasionally. It helps you understand where you've been. It helps you see what's in your past. 
it's important to look out both, right? We spend 80% of our time looking forward, out the windshield of life. I wrote on my uh, rearview mirror here, and I'll try not to blind you, is God's mercy. People who become mercy-filled people never lose sight of the rearview mirror of God's mercy in their life. And they're continually taken by it. They continually see it. They continually look back at the foot of the cross and their life and how their life has been changed because of God's mercy for them. And as they look into that, then they can look forward into their present and into their future. And they can be a people who begin to live out of the mercy that they've been given. That God's unmerited and unending mercy, it found me. It holds me. It changed me. It meets me over and over and over again. So that now his mercy is something I get to share. And here's the invitation for you tonight. Be a person that continually uses the rearview mirror of their life to see God's mercy in your life and how he has protected you, how he has shielded you. We talked with our team before. How have you seen God's mercy in your life? Think about the times that he protected you from friendships that weren't the best for you of how his mercy met you in moments where he just helped you overcome some challenges and setbacks, of how his mercy met you in the forgiveness of your sins, of even coming to a place of faith where you said, man, I'm tired of living life on my own and, and trying to work my way to God. And all of a sudden, I'm beginning to understand this, this person of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. He made a way for me to have life with God and not based on my own merit but based on what he did, his perfection, and I'm not perfect. And mercy starts there. Mercy starts with seeing all of God's activity in your life, the ways he's protected you, the way he's provided for you, the way he's watched over you and guided you. And as we live as people who look in the rearview mirror and see God's mercy and the activity of his mercy in our life, well then, man, we're fueled up to be people who can give that to others. That I don't have to be a person who keeps score. That's what the world wants me to do. But what the scriptures resound with and what Jesus and his example show and what he teaches is that will not take you where you think it will. And you won't like where it takes you. So Peter, drop the scorecard. Three times, seven times, 70 times seven. Let me blow your mind. Jesus, I don't have a scorecard that big. Exactly. That's the point, Peter. The church is to be a mercy-filled church. And the only way that happens is when the people inside the church become mercy-filled people who continually look back and see God's unbelievable mercy in their life. And then they're fueled to say, I just want to pass that on. And I don't want to keep score. Now, it doesn't mean I have to forget everything, and it doesn't mean I become a doormat. 
but it means I'm learning how to give the mercy I've been given. Mercy is a mandate. As a follower of Jesus, it's not just a good suggestion. It's to be the way we live. Could you imagine if the church and the people who are the church, you're the church, I'm the church, if we actually live this out to a world that's used to keeping score and how that might change our culture. And so, Father, we want to be a mercy-filled church, and that's hard. That's not easy. That's not for wimps. That's not a journey that's easy to take. But Jesus, it's the journey that you called Peter to. It's the journey you call each of us who call you our Savior and our Lord. It's the journey you call us to, to be merciful like you are merciful. Would you help us to become a people who practice that, who live that out in practical, tangible ways, Monday through Saturday, in the everyday moments of our lives, in the everyday moments of our relationships with people that we're close to, people that are coming across our path, God, would you help us to be marked with your mercy? And that we would be a people who give that. Father, every time we drive this week, and every time we glance at our rearview mirror, May you remind us of your mercy that's been all a part of our life. It's met us at every season, in every moment. God, if there's any online or any here in the room that have never said yes to the mercy of Jesus, that's what this story was about. You owe a debt that you can never pay. And I did too. And Jesus showed up. And it was his life and his death and his resurrection that paid that debt for you, paid that debt for me. If you've never said yes to Jesus, and you may have tons of questions, but it starts with a surrendered heart that says, I need you. And if God's tapping on your heart tonight, say yes to him. Tell the friend that brought you, talk to the online host, come see us, email us. We want to celebrate with you because it begins with that point of saying yes to the mercy of Jesus for you, that he can fill you up then to be a person who extends that mercy to others. So Father, as we sing now, in this song all about mercy, would you move our hearts? Is there someone in our life that we need to exercise this a little bit more for, that we need to give it to? Is there someone in our realm of influence, connection, that we need to extend more mercy to? God, help us to be overwhelmed again by the wonder of your mercy. We pray.
dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid for me where the wrath I deserve it is gone it is past your blood has hidden me mercy
God's mercy, may you never lose the wonder. May it be part of the fuel that helps you live as mercy-filled people. Because as we live as mercy-filled people, the church becomes a mercy-filled church that has a way of impacting the culture way beyond what you and I think we could do on our own. And so may we commit to being that. Thank you so much for being a part of Element City Church, being a part of it here in the house tonight. Those of you who are here, those of you joining us online, it's so great to worship together. We're working on everything. Keep praying for everything. I know for some of you, we've got uh, our e-kids ministries kind of on hold right now as so many kids are not back to school yet. And so we're praying through how to make that happen. If you're interested and being a part of investing in our next generation. Uh, I would love to talk with you. We'll get you in touch with Jen. And so we're looking for some more volunteers with our eKids ministry as we look to get that rolling later on this fall. And I just want to say thanks to all of you who are financial partners with us in ministry. We can't do what we try to do and, and want to be as a church without your partnership and everything from the food distributions to services to everything that we're doing across our city. So thank you so much for being a part of that. If you've never been a part of that, why not give it a shot and have allow God to bless you as you are a part of blessing his kingdom, a part of moving his church forward. So we want to invite you back next week uh, to be here in person or online. And tonight as we go, we have one other thing to do. Lyle, it's your birthday tomorrow. And I just wanted to say, I love Lyle. I love Lyle. And I'm so proud of you. Happy birthday, my friend. Now, these are not cakes, they're cupcakes, so you could decide if you're gonna share or not, but I'm gonna leave them right. I love you too, well, Lyle. Yeah, yeah, I bet they do. I'm gonna leave them there so you can I have first grabs. <laughs> so, but since you're all here, maybe just wave a happy birthday or a knuckle bump to Lyle. There we go. Friends, thanks so much for being a part of service tonight. If you're in the house, give some knuckle bumps on the way out. If you're at your house, we love you. Uh, maybe go grab your own cupcake from your house or a cookie. Have it. It's calorie-free tonight. So, bless you. Uh, may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this week until we're gathered again. God bless you, friends.